0: Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 636th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from the urban farm in the heart of Phoenix, Arizona. And tonight we have our monthly seed chat, which I'm very excited uh, once again to have Bill McDormand here. We've got to have been doing these for, what, four years? Well, it's going too fast. Yeah, I know, right? Know? But but there's
1: every single one of them has been fun you know.
0: Right. I mean, there's a,
1: there's information in some of them, but they've all been fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there's information in all of them. What is your title these days? Because I know you've stepped away from Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance.
1: Well, I'm still working for Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, and so I'm one of the teachers there. So oh, very I told good. Them I would go teach whenever and wherever, and and I'm doing backline IT stuff. For them to make sure i'm basically working on all the projects that i knew needed to get done that mm. i never had time to do got it as director nice so yeah so i'm soaking right. into membership and website stuff and it's been you know we've got a world class
0: you know we're working on the same things you are education and uh, yeah and education and education and education right education. yeah yeah so you used to be the executive director, and you stepped away from that. So, tell us a little bit about what Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance is. Just give us like two minutes of that.
1: Well, it's a seed conservation organization. That My epic wife, line, by the way. Yeah, Bell Newsom and I were recruited to start a seed conservation organization after we had been co-directors at Native Seed Search in Tucson, Arizona, which is a forty—it's almost forty-five-year-old organization now—and. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When we were asked to do that, we said, well, a seed conservation organization is really a great idea, but let's do it differently now. I think the world has changed in 45 years, and there's, you know, that experience helped inform us to go forward into the future, we think, in a better way. So what we decided to do was, instead of building an organization that would try to save the seeds of the Rocky Mountains, this new region, mm-hmm. we would use eighty percent of our energy to teach everyone how to save their own seeds. Oh, nice! With the goal that someday all the seeds from our region will come from our region. Our region. It really is simple. Yeah, yeah, simple goal, and you can get into that on spiritual levels, political levels, you know, foodie levels, whatever it is. But there's a lot of good reasons why we should work toward that as a goal, and so that's what we do, and we try to have as much fun
0: as we can on the way. Nice. Nice, nice. All right. So tonight, I'm very excited. This is one of my favorite topics. I know I might say that every time, but I really mean this. This is one of my favorite topics. How to let your garden go to seed. What if we take the best seeds from this year's garden and save them for next? When you adapt these seeds, when you adapt and save seeds from plants that were hardy and exhibited characteristics you like, like de- disease and insect resistance, for example, those seeds will work better in your garden following year because after all, that is where they learn their new tricks. So, and there's a term for that, but that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So let's jump in, Bill. Well, yeah, this is, I think the key word
1: that you said was let. Because some of the best seed saving I've done, and I know you've done, and we've talked about oh, yeah. this, is because seeds are plants in our garden that thrived, went to seed and reseeded yeah. themselves without us even getting involved. And there's a real magic in that. You know, we, I think almost every gardener, experienced gardener I've met over the years, will agree that volunteers are always better plants oh, I've got a volunteer tomato that came up by yep. compost or a volunteer came up over here and you should see the stuff. Well, that is just nature at work. Yet there are trillions of variables involved in the interaction of a plant and its environment, even through one year. And so uh, the plant is intelligently negotiating all those things and changing things. And through the science of epigenetics, now we know that they can pass those changes on to their offspring, even from that one year without sexual reproduction it just happens okay that's how they survive and and we go into that in our seed schools and i'll go into that more but you know if you've been around gardening a long time we've all noticed this we just didn't have the understanding and so this is revolutionary at a time right at the time when we need it we don't need huge institutions or you know uh, three seed companies that control the majority of the world's seeds Mm -hmm. to get better plants All we have to do is let those plants go to seed in our own gardens. And there's so many things happening there that we can actually get superior. And and by superior, I mean better adapted. They need less inputs. They're more resistant to diseases and pests. Mm-hmm. and floods and heat or whatever happened to it how do we know that because they survived <laughs> they're showing us and going to seed so it's a real simple process yeah. so i think if you take if there's one thing everyone should take away tonight trust in your observational skills and just learn to save the seeds if you want to to bring them in and protect them from the things that do best in your garden
0: yeah well and you said learn how to trust i'm going to also say learn how to trust the seeds because the seeds know it is absolutely amazing to me uh, and you know I've been here at the urban farm for 32 years now and or growing organically here for 32 years at the urban farm and there's I actually recently discovered there's a name for what I'm doing here it's called an old growth food forest just like an old <laughs> growth forest this is an old growth food forest and at any given moment I have nasturtiums and cowpeas and cilantro and celery and Oh my! you know, there's at least 30 or 40 different things that come back year after year after year in my yard, just because I let them go to seed the year before.
1: If it's an old growth food forest and you planted
0: it, does that make you old? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yeah, there you go. But there's, there's magic. So Carrie says epigenetics, the way plants adapt to their environment. And before you go any further on that one, and that was a question. Epigenetics is the way anything adapts to its environment, right?
1: Well, epigenetics, uh, epi means beyond. And so in the last 20 years in science, and this uh, was a course I, or a, a class I took from a young PhD, Dr. Bradley Tonnenson, who just got his PhD in plant genetics and breeding, did his work in rice. He sequenced like 7,000 rice varieties, you know, you highest level DNA wow. sequencing and genetics work. And he said that one of the things that caught his ear early on in his education and he followed through is the the evolving science of epigenetics. So what does that mean? Well, what we've, you know, the short, this is, I'm generalizing, but the short story is this, is that not only do you need different genes, you know, aligned in DNA Mm -hmm. to have expressions or to suppress the expressions of certain traits that will help a plant adapt. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know that works, and that's what you know—crossing um, two different parents to get you know the traits that we want out of offspring. But that takes years, right? You have to do the crossing, and you have to save the seeds from the offspring. sudden. And, uh,
0: and that's that's a process of hybridization, dehybridization, or as in nature, it's called natural selection. Right. Okay.
1: So, um, my that's what basic seed saving—the little book I wrote was about how to. To avoid that happening by starting your seed-saving adventure with selfers, plants that don't do a lot of crossing and kind of stay the same every year. So -hmm. if you're going to save your seeds, you get the ones that you're looking for. But what we know now, uh, Dr. Tonneson points out so clearly, is that a plant can react to stress in real time. So in other words, if it gets really hot, it can roll up its DNA and, and thereby keep some of the traits from expressing itself. And it does that to close down its stoma. So it doesn't give off as much water because it knows it's going to be hot and dry. We know this, you know, we've heard this about oak forests can actually change their chemical composition. If a fire starts on one side of a forest, mm-hmm. we're now measuring the trees on the other side that are getting ready and protecting themselves. That's epigenetics. That's epigenetics. It can also happen with floods. It can happen with any kind. We can't measure. We, we don't even know all the influences that are affecting a plant every year. But uh-huh. what we do know now is that that rolled up DNA can be passed on to the offspring that year. So if, if you have a hot, dry year and mm-hmm. you're trying to grow a crop and it survives and you save the seeds, those offspring are already primed and ready mm-hmm. to survive a hot, dry year. Wow. Doesn't it? don't have to have any crossing don't nothing else has to happen but that can happen and so you know this, we're starting to hear about this in uh, humans we know now that grandchildren can have post-traumatic stress a stress that their grandparents went through and their nervous systems changed they rolled up DNA or expressed traits that were already rolled up and so you know the, the kids are born and that it's still in the grandkids sometimes. And so, you know, we're, this wow. is starting to explain a lot about the modern world. And for seed saving, it couldn't come at a better time because it gives us the scientific justification for what we're actually experiencing. And we don't have to listen to what I would call propaganda now. It's become that that says that we need genetic modification in order to change plants fast enough to feed 10 billion people. And we're saying, no, just give a gardener his own seeds, teach him t- or her observation techniques to save the ones from the best ones that survive for them. And you can actually get better plants. And if you do that for a few years, they keep getting better and better yes. and better.
0: Yeah. I have this guild thing that goes on with cowpeas and nasturtiums in my yard and uh, the nasturtiums, they, they come back every winter for 20, 25 years in the same garden bed wow. every year. Wow. And wow. I added the cow peas about a decade ago. And so the cow peas are the summertime cover crop and the, the nasturtiums mm-hmm. are the wintertime cover crop. And so, wow. yeah.
1: And I'll I'll bet there's a relationship going on between them. Yeah. There's something going, you know, it's oh. so again, you can't measure that. We don't know, but mm-hmm.
0: this is the magic of learning to observe and let things that really work well, work well. So. Our topic tonight is how to let your garden go to seed. I guess the first step is let your garden go to seed.
1: Yes. And do not be afraid of any kind of anything that someone tells you about the lower quality. It might not be what you think it's going to be. What all those other myths that are going around in modern gardeners' minds. Mm -hmm. You know, the best, probably the best gardener I met in Idaho where I grew up before I left there. Judy Housel, God rest her soul. She was the editor of the local paper. She started the first video store, you know, rental store, just one of those go getter people, but her garden would make you cry. It was like (laughs) a half acre, you know, and she walked up to me one time we were talking about stuff and she said, well, everybody knows you can't save seeds, you know, from American varieties, you just can't do it. And I said, what, why not? And so we started talking, you know, and um, what I realized is that almost everything she was growing were hybrids and she had been told she can't save seeds from hybrids. And so I'm, I'm busting through that myth. You can save seeds from anything and the epigenetic magic, the adaptation magic that's going on in every garden, Mm -hmm. every time you grow any plant is going on. And if you get seeds, save them and if you plant those seeds and not very many of them work then not very many of them work and that would be one of the original reasons why people didn't save seeds from hybrids because mm-hmm. there is sterility as a trait that can get passed on especially in brassicas and other things but if you get something to work it works and watch it when it grows up and if you like it again and it's better or you you uh, it shouts at you like yeah i'm here and you right. you know then save the seeds again
0: so I was visiting friends in North Carolina this past weekend, and they had a sun gold tomato. Now, the sun gold is a hybrid. Mm-hmm. And I judiciously, in fact, I sent you a picture. I texted you a picture of it. I don't know if you saw it yet. I taught Tom how to save seeds from them before I knew what they were. They were the sun golds. And, uh, you know, and then I looked up the sun golds and they're hybrids. So what might I expect to get out of, and I realize this is a million dollar question, but what might well, I expect to get out of uh, you know, replanting the sun gold tomato seed?
1: The simple answer is that whatever the grandparents looked like. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what the grandparents were for your, for the grandchild that you're about to birth, right? right? If you save right. the seeds and plant, that's the grandchild. So the parents were uniform. Mm-hmm. they were the f1 hybrid they, all the sun golds that you see all look the same but when you save the seeds from those you may be unlocking all sorts of other stuff and so who knows now practically though and i've heard this over and over again sun golds aren't hybrid they just call them that uh, to keep people oh, i've heard that before. coming back coming <clears throat> back year after year to buy the seeds it i is have really heard that before ex- expensive to create hybrid tomato seeds it just, it's incredible. It's, it's, look at a tomato flower, pull the little cone off, try to get the pollen in there. I mean, we're talking a hugely interesting enterprise. And so what many, we think now of the hybrid tomato seed companies, they, they created a hybrid to begin with and they knew it would work. But then what they did is what we're trying to teach you, save the seeds from mm-hmm. a hybrid. That's the F2 generation save seeds from those that look like sun golds that's f3 save seeds from those that look like singles that's f4 by the time you get to f8 they're all sun golds working population there there's still chances you know never say never in botany or breeding you know there's always chances that some of those other you know characteristics that one of the grandparents had could come out but But you can stabilize the line. So the question becomes, you know, in a a modern setting where these guys have greenhouses and can grow two crops in one year, it would take them, you know, three to four years to stabilize all their hybrid tomato lines. Then they don't have to pay for hybrid tomatoes anymore. They get all the characteristics and they get cheap seed. And so you can see the financial incentive in this. And so early girl, celebrity, sun gold. I've heard stories about all of them. And how do you tell? Just plant those seeds. And if they all look like sun golds, bingo. You know, They're I there. did gypsy hybrid peppers one year
0: and they all looked like they were supposed to. Hey, job done. Yeah, nice. So Pony says, I have saved seeds for over 20 years now. Will they still be viable? Oh, yeah. Well, cool, dark and dry. Yeah, yeah as, as long as you haven't cooked them in the front seat of your car. But if you store <laughs> <In> them- Phoenix, <laughs> In Phoenix, exactly. If you store them- Cool, dark, and dry. You should be good to go. And the, the, we, go ahead.
1: We r- routinely got ninety percent germination on tomatoes that were ten years old. I opened a can of onion seeds, which are only supposed to last a couple of years. Those are the uh, can 40, of onion
0: seeds that I gave you, right? Right,
1: forty-year-old yeah. mm-hmm. can of onion seeds. Mm-hmm. You know, sixty percent germ. after forty years. Mm-hmm. These are living, breathing embryos. You know, they're magical. We routinely, we, I, I don't know how many stories I've heard in the Southwest here of bean seeds being found in clay that, you know, clay are pots, yeah. clay pots that are six up to 600 years old. Wow. Here in the Southwest, just stored cool,
0: dark, and dry in a little clay pot someplace. Nice, so, nice. So yeah, never give up on your seeds. So letting seeds go, letting plants go to seeds like carrots. I have so many carrot seeds. I'll bet you I could, if I, if I processed them all down, I bet you I have 10 pounds of carrot seeds here that I've saved over the past couple of years. We just let them go to seed. And one carrot flower could easily, you know, is easily this big and maybe 3000 seeds on that carrot flower bill. Yeah. 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 This
1: is the most abundant, <sighs> abundant system you will ever find. And you know, I, if you're hooked into the modern media at all, Mm-hmm. You get pummeled every day with scarcity and right. danger.
0: Yeah, and things
1: changing, and so all you have to do is walk out and look at your carrot flower and go, "I only planted one seed,
0: right? <laughs> look at how many I got! I got ten thousand <laughs> seeds." Well, I've said for years, the only place that lack lives is between our ears, because when I look at the abundance that comes out of my yard, it is it is deafening. It's mind blowing. Fawn says the same with parsley flowers. Absolutely the same with parsley flowers. So really the, the key here, Bill, is just let the if you're growing broccoli, let it go to seed. And well and so, learn,
1: yeah, learn and watch.
0: Yeah, just yep. let it go
1: to seed. And like you did with your carrots, they plant themselves, don't they?
0: Yeah, they plant themselves. And that's mostly what I do here at the urban farm. I don't, I don't do a lot of heavy duty seed saving. I grab the the flower head of a carrot and crumple it up in my hand and toss it
1: well and here's something else to think about so if you're even a beginner seed saver and you understand this simple thing we've been talking about and and it, as abundant as it is you can scale up how many seeds you have tremendously just in one year
0: yep more fast. than
1: you'll ever use in your life out of one yeah. tomato you can get enough you know seeds for and so think about that in times of real scarcity As we, you know, look at climate change or some of the floods that just happened in Tennessee or, you know, the front page of Bloomberg today said that there is a national uh, grocery shortage right now. Some areas more acute than others, and it's being caused by lack of labor. They don't have enough people in the supply line to get uh, to keep groceries on the grocery store shelves, especially in areas where a hurricane's coming or other sorts of things. And so. Think about how powerful you become if you have enough seeds within one season or two to scale up your whole neighborhood. You may end up being the hero in your neighborhood.
0: Yeah, well, and that's our whole goal behind the Great American Seed Up. If you guys don't know what the Great American Seed Up is, go to greatamericanseedup.org. But what we're really trying to do is we're really trying to get seeds in everybody's hands and teaching them how to grow them and save them. Really, I've said this for years, the, capital T, The place that we're going to solve our global food systems problem is in the city, right where we're living. So figure it out. Yep. And so, Uh, yeah, I got some questions for you in our Q and a, do you, Fawn wants to know, do you recommend storing seeds in Ziploc bags or paper bags in the fridge? You
1: do not have to store seeds in refrigerators in most areas of the country. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Dr. Bruce Bugbee, from Utah State University, got a contract from NASA to study the storage of seeds on a trip to Mars. Oh, yes, yes. And it's the most scientific and, and measured study I've seen about oh, wow. temperature and seeds and storage. And so what he learned was that if you keep your seeds below 80 degrees Fahrenheit, they'll last. they'll, you know, every year some die off. But that curve starts to steepen. You'll get more die off quickly after they get about 80. So so as long as you can keep them below 80, if you put them in a refrigerator. And there are theories, I'll call them out there. I've never seen one, you know, explaining why this is the case. But there are theories that the cooler or colder you keep seeds, Mm -hmm. the longer they last. But if we've got 600-year-old bean seeds in a clay pot, we've only had refriger- refrigeration for, you know, how long? Nobody's ever tested against those sorts of things, if you get my point. yeah. So, But if you do keep them in a refrigerator, put either that paper bag or Ziploc bag in something that's impermeable, like a glass jar. Yep. And there are hard plastic jars that are made to be impermeable to moisture because the moisture will get through eventually and you know I, I i all i have to do is point out if you've ever i grew up my da, my father hunted deer and elk and my mother would just you know she'd pull out elk that had been in the freezer for 2 years and you couldn't even see the meat anymore because of all the moisture that yeah. had gotten into the bag around it yeah. so you don't want to do that and if this is important if you do store in a refrigerator when you take it out, leave it to warm up to room temperature before you open it. Otherwise, moist air in your house will go into the jar Mm -hmm. and
0: condense on the inside and you'll start to make your seeds moist. And we Mm -hmm. want cool, dark, and dry. And dry. Exactly. So Cheryl, I hope that answered your question as well. Also, if you're asking me questions, please don't do it in the chat. Throw them in the Q&A section. Here's a great question. Curry wants to know, how do you pick which plants do you let to go to seed? Placement, looks, pest, resilience? Yeah.
1: I was just with Joseph Lofthouse walking through a garden and seeing what he was looking for. And so number one for him are things that look different mm-hmm. because he's looking for different traits that might help whatever plants he's growing adapt to his yard faster. Mm -hmm. They may have some hidden disease resistance or something. They're just not, they just don't look like everything else. So that's his particular thing. He also looks, oddly enough, Greg, for tomato flowers that are more open so that they can cross pollinate. Because he wants sexual reproduction. He wants all the traits to all mix up so his whole population starts Mm -hmm. to adapt. So -hmm. that's what he looks for. You know what? You need to look for whatever you want. What did mama's okra look like? (laughs) The one that makes you sing when you're starting to cook it. That's what you're looking for. You know, we all have stories and things embedded in us. You know, uh, John Navasio would say, I saw a slideshow he did about a field of broccoli he grew in a place where he knew there was black rot, a disease that gets into the stem of cabbage family plots, and it, it makes them inedible. And he's a lead breeder, one of the lead breeders for Johnny Selected Seeds now, mm-hmm. longtime friend. But he got as many different kinds of broccoli as he could, planted them in the most diseased field he could find in this area of Washington. And, you know, the people around him were just shaking their heads, going, oh, this is going to be a disaster. You know, <laughs> that we know the diseases here, you know, and none of these varieties we know of are resistant. So what are you doing? You're just wasting a year. And he's, he just smiled and nodded his head, planted them all anyway. Four plants survived out of a whole acre, whole acre.
0: And all these
1: people are going, see, told you, disaster. And he's walking <laughs> over and getting seeds from those four varieties. Right. And that those were resistant to black rot. They made it. So sometimes that's what you're looking
0: for. I Long story for a short answer. Yeah, cool. Bonnie says, do we need to save seeds from multiple plants for diversity or plant multiple plants? So that's a really good question. Let me, let me kind of explode it a little bit more here. So I've got these carrots that I've been growing in my front yard for the past five years. And about four years ago, I had a guy come by and he said, yeah, I know how to plant carrots. So I gave him four ounces of carrot seeds and he planted all of them. Now four (laughs) ounces of carrot seeds is what a hundred thousand seeds, maybe.
1: Yeah, and more than that, 200,000
0: probably. Right. And so I had I had carrots everywhere. And I've been, for the past few years, I've been saving those seeds. How does the genetic diversity work there? And if I just keep saving them down the line, is there enough genetic diversity to keep it moving forward? Well, nature's really kind to us there.
1: It'll show you. So it's called vigor, and it can be affected by what they call inbred depression. hmm And that's what happens when you don't have enough outside genetic diversity in a population. We all know that as human beings, why we don't take our cousins to the prom, probably,
0: right? Right.
1: And so, you know, this concept is already built into us. So the more diversity, the better. The more plants, the better. Now, if you're a home gardener and all you have is a couple of pots, no problem. That's why you join a seed exchange. That's why you you exchange seeds with your neighbors. Each individual person doesn't have to have all the diversity. You can actually exchange with those around you. Or, you know, and this is what Joseph Lofthouse, who just wrote a new book. He's an author. He's a gardener in Paradise, Utah. And his new book is called Land Race Gardening. What he does, if he's, say, for carrots, is he spent years finding 400 different varieties I'm making the number up but hundreds of varieties of carrots all the everything he's ever heard of hybrid or not and mixed them all together the seed and grows that up and starts to save seeds from whatever adapts and works best in his garden taking that way with with an outcrossing crop and these are more advanced terms that we could explain them you're mixing up genetics and getting traits from everything in there and you get to save the ones that work best for you. Wow. And in that way, he is creating what he calls new land races. Plants that have lots of diversity
0: that are adapted to a particular place. What place? His backyard. Nice. Nice. All right. So we have 10 questions. I want to see if I can get through, through All right. them. Um Bonnie wants to know how many generations until she loses vigor when small parent population, when there's a small parent population. It's variable and it it depends depends. on how small Yeah, it it just depends. So
1: I can give you corn 10 years. If you have at least two to 500 plants, you'll start to see it gets shorter. I met a gentleman who's been doing this for 40 years and he said, oh yeah, about every 10 years, I got to go out and get another variety and mix it in. Then everything comes back up again.
0: Nice. (laughs) Love that data.
1: Yeah. How's that for data? Yeah.
0: Rita says, how do you save green bean seeds? How do you decide when to pick them off to dry them? So for my cow peas, they're a bean. For my cow peas, I just harvest them, dry out the plants, right? If you can, you know, lots of people don't have that luxury, right?
1: They live in places where there's snow and, uh, and blizzards. So if the season is cut short, first of all, you have to eat some of them. Make sure that's, you know, again, number one is probably... Does it taste really delicious? If you want to save the seeds and it tastes really delicious, then you know a little ribbon around the plants of the Mm -hmm. ones that you really want. And if the season gets cut short, pull the whole plant if you can. All right. Shake the dirt off the roots, hang it upside down, and wait for it to dry completely. And you'll know that because they'll start to crack open and the seeds will start to come
0: out. That's optimum. Nice, Stephanie. This is for me, Stephanie. I've heard you encourage Greg. I've heard you encourage the use of woody mulch, but I've also heard you say not to use it in your garden. So woody mulch, as it breaks down, requires nitrogen. That nitrogen gets swiped from the plants. So I like to use woody mulch in big bare areas in your yard. If you have a dirt area in your yard, put down mulch and the dust goes way down. Soil gets built really quickly. If you have an area that you want to put a garden in, in three years, put down 12, 18 inches of woody mulch. Let it start working and then put your garden in. So like that. Carrie says, Yeah, two of my eight onion seeds germinated. That's two.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not lost. You may have to mix in something else later because that's where inbred depression. So yeah. breeders call that a genetic bottleneck.
0: Ah, okay, good.
1: All right. And and but don't throw them away. And then if you need to find some more seeds of the same variety and grow them with them
0: mm-hmm. down the road or something else. Or you do what I've done here and I just let everything go to seed and I just plant more things and let everything go to seed. And it just becomes like a food forest. Gotta <gasps> love that Right. Gotta love that. All right. Cindy says, I have an area I am turning into a wildflower native pollinator meadow. Soil is very compact that I add a lot of supplements, lightly roto tilled it, but the plants are struggling in the fall after the flowers have died back. I'm going to pour on more supplements and scatter more seed, maybe add some worms. If I cover it with wood chips for the drought, can the seeds emerge through the wood chips? Yeah. So five components of healthy soil, Cindy, dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. Add organic matter, add compost. Leaf mulch is great. If you've got leaf, you know, you can put down, you know, collect leaves from your neighbors, uh, and get you know six, eight, ten inches of that down. I the as the woody mulch breaks down, you know, seeds will plant in it. it may take a little longer with woody mulch, but yeah. Remember, It'll this work. is a, this is a natural process. It takes you know, it takes time. Be patient. Can with I that. add one thing? Yes, absolutely.
1: Another approach would be to get more and different kinds of wildflowers to plant. Mm. And see what works and save the seeds from the ones that work and -hmm. make sure that those are planted there. As, As Joseph Lofthouse again says, it's probably easier for us to select and breed for plants that are adapted to our conditions, whatever they are than it is to actually build good new soil. Yeah. So the plants are trying to come your way. Just be, just start looking at those things that work. And it may be, only, they may not be the flowers you you want or there may not be as many, but you know, there are some hardy wildflowers that will probably populate almost any area. So work with that a yeah. little bit. And if you don't have what you want, then do bring in more seed, bring in different kinds of seed
0: and, until you get what you want. Right. Absolutely. And the seeds, the roots will help the breakdown process as well. And it brings in life and just so much. Andrew W. says, watch the film Back to Eden about why to use wood mulch available on YouTube will change your world. That is an understatement. He says, best gardening (laughs) film I have ever seen. Anonymous says, so better to pull and save seeds rather than just letting them reseed since often the conditions may not be right. Well, you know, I lived in. Yeah, go ahead go either way. I mean, you know, you try might both. try some
1: of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I lived in a place that got, you know, five or six feet of snow. And so if we got early snow and snow's relatively warm and it blanketed everything, then almost everything would come back up. But if we got 20 below zero without any snow, and that mm-hmm. happened some years, mm-hmm. all those seeds that fell on the ground from my garden were probably gone. So I learned to bring some in. Every year, carrot seeds, onions, all the things that would fall on the ground could be killed by the severe winter cold and dryness that oh, would the, come it's the dryness. It's the dryness. I, it's a freeze it. dried yeah. yeah. I think that's what got them. But anyway, so that's one example of why we've evolved these other strategies. Besides, when Seed Saturday comes to your town on March 1st and you're talking about all these great things you're growing, wouldn't it be nice to have a few seeds from your garden that you could trade with the yeah. other people there? That might be another reason to save, bring them in and save them. Yeah. You don't have to have them perfectly clean. It just get them as clean as you can with the time you have. Mark them carefully. I always put the year on them as the years fly by. It's nice to know what year you harvested them. That's and then right. if you have an extra, take them down to your local seed library,
0: the one you're going to start if you don't have one right? All right. So let's see how many we can get through. They keep building up. DC wants to know what if, what if you fertilize to build nitrogen if using wood chips as mulch? Absolutely. Go get manure, chicken manure, put chicken manure on it, put cow manure on it. Absolutely. Put some kind of manure on it to break down the woody mulch. Deborah wants to know if squirrels filled my shed over the winter with pine cones. Can I use this as mulch? Absolutely use it as mulch. You bet you wanted to use that as mulch. DC wants to know what kind of mulch you use in your veggie garden if woody mulch is for soil building. In my garden, I use compost. Use compost, to, you know, get some, yeah, compost. Christina wants to know what is Seed Saturday? So we have Seed Up Saturday, but that's not what you were talking about, Bill. Well, Seed Saturday. CD Saturday. CD
1: right? Saturday is, has become a national institution in Canada. Yeah. The Bauda Foundation, I've probably 10 years ago, started this idea that on Saturdays in the spring, when everybody's used to buying their seeds, if communities would come together for one day in a seed exchange, and everybody brings their seeds down and exchanges stories and seeds with all the others that live around them. And so the advantage to that is that you get seeds that have already gone through that adaptation of being local. Otherwise, when you buy seeds in the catalog, you don't know where they come from. Right. It could be contract grown in China, for instance, as we're learning that a lot of organic seed is done now. So that's the advantage. And that's where that idea comes from. Now, Seed Up Saturday is something that we've been doing because Three times of, yep. yeah, that's a cross between COVID and the Great American Seed Up, right? We're trying to find a way to get seeds
0: and information out to people in this age. So Cool. Yeah. So look for Seed Up Saturday coming up. The next one will be in November, I think November 13th, maybe. We have the next one planned for. Fawn wants to know does growing a food forest work differently in a cold climate? She's in zone five. Yeah.
1: Just works, totally it
0: works like a you know, you have to figure out what grows there and what's your forest going to look like. And then observe,
1: observe, observe, right? Over a long period of time. There's no shortcut for this.
0: Yeah. The and first, as, go ahead.
1: As Paul Hawkins says, you can't design elegant systems from command central. So there's no way, Gregor, I could sit here and tell you exactly what's going to work where you. you are. You get to be the expert. That's the great thing about food forest is that once it's going, it's yours. And you are the professor that right. can teach everybody else how to do it in your region.
0: Yeah. Kerry wants to know how many generations does it take to get a land-raised seed collection?
1: Joseph Lofthouse claims that by the third generation, he's oh. seen spectacular results and is very happy. with it. There's still a lot of diversity in it,
0: but he says the magic year is three years. Cool. Fawn wants to know, does it matter if we have deep winter frost when letting a garden go to seed? My borage parsley, garlic, and onion chives do well reseeding every year on their own. But I was wondering about some warm, loving crops. My sun golds do well when I save the seeds indoors.
1: You know, you're going to have to be the expert on that and and see what works. And uh, You know, what came to mind is like, what cold? winter you know we're about to lose those in a lot of areas you know so it's going to be easier to let things probably winter over in most areas of the united states and so areas where you couldn't before you're probably going to be able to but you know what i do simple trick i mulch you know with straw or hay you know it's got to be weed free straw or grass clippings or leaves or something and you know even up to 20 inches on my beds would be my dream. I never get that much, but just to help keep them warm before it gets really cold and that way you leaves, can, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Leaves work really good for that. With grass clippings, make sure that you're using grass clippings from grass that is not going to seed. Right. And just it's, like it's probably not been sprayed if you can have, if you can. Teresa wants to know, tomatoes are not supposed to grow in the same place the following year. So I have been planting beans where the tomatoes have been. I've noticed that some tomatoes have receded. I don't know what that means. Does that mean I should transplant them to a new location as per crop rotation advice? Well, so the reason why people, that's sort of a general belief
1: Mm -hmm. among gardeners is Mm -hmm. because every plant's a target for something else, food for another system. And if you leave it in one place long enough over the years, the soil, there's some, yeah, fungus but there's something will go, oh, I recognize that and start attacking it. So that's the overall reason why you don't do that. Now, what Joseph Lofthouse would say is he plants them all in the same place every year. And yeah. if something reseeds and comes back and looks really good, it's resistant anyway. And I save yeah. the seeds from that because I don't want to mess around with that kind of stuff.
0: So it's up to you. Pony says, how do I know when to harvest the seeds? I've lost some waiting too long. Can you harvest before they dry out? Like green tomatoes hanging on a whole plant upside down. I have a giant rainbow chard that overwintered at 7,200 foot elevation in Colorado. Observation. I'm going to guess observation and experimentation. Yeah, 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 exactly.
1: I love those. I had a chard plant go to seed in my community garden when I was in Tucson. And I had volunteered to teach seed saving a couple of times to the group. To, and one of the guys that showed up both times, he had been through sort of basic seed saving or whatever, was had a plot in the community garden right next to mine. So all of a sudden, there's this huge, big, seedy thing coming out of my char plant that's all brown. And we were walking by one day and he goes, hey, Bill, what's that? And I walked over to him and rubbed it a little in about a million chart. You know how they are. A million oh, yeah. chart seeds fell into my hand. He goes, what's that? And I go, these are the seeds. And it was like, boom, right. You can right. go through the class. You can read this stuff or whatever. But until you see that happen. It's like, he was so amazed that you could get so, so many. How does it do that? <laughs> well, it just doesn't.
0: <laughs> when, you know, people don't make the, always make that connection. You tell a great story when you were at Native Seed Search about this woman that walked into the store looking for?
1: Yellow woman Indian beans. And we had them both for sale in one pound bags to take home and cook and eat. And she had a she bought those. And then she was looking on the seed rack for seeds so she could grow some. And so she came up to the counter and said, So where do I get the seeds for yellow and Indian beans? And I said, I looked at her one pound package and I said, You just bought a pound of them. The beans are the seed. Yeah. yeah simple connections. Yeah. You know, we've all
0: done stuff like that. All right. Final question. Do you need to save the seeds from the first tomato? If some of the tomatoes on the same plant. Have different shape or size? Will the seeds from one produce the same shape or size the next season? It's
1: hard to tell. There are so many things involved, experiment, especially experiment, now with experiment. epigenetics. Yeah. So I've met breeders that only save the first tomatoes, seeds from the first tomatoes, saying, oh, these will come earlier. And once they say, oh, no, they're not fully developed. If you want all the characteristics, you want the middle ones or the end ones. And you hear this with corn and all these. Uh, I just heard everything across the board and there are if you get into it there are really specific reasons why some might be better than others they get into this with melons especially but not for our purposes generally it's not going to make that much difference probably you probably won't see the difference what i would do if you have any questions at all is save several anyway mix up those seeds and plant them and as the plants come up
0: rogue out the ones that aren't as vigorous or don't look as good to you cool All right. So I did say the final question. I've got two more. That's all we're going to take because I got to get to dinner. So do you, Bill. Fawn says, is it safe to eat tomatoes that have been nibbled on by rodents or birds? I have read that insect nibbles increase bioactives in the plant, but not sure of safety with animal nibbles.
1: Well, you know, there is rabies in small mammals, but I've never heard of a case. Have you ever heard, in yeah. order to get rabies, you probably have to get bitten. And I've got yeah, friends that eat everything in the garden. Doesn't matter. They eat the dirt. They're always, you know, they right. don't seem to be any sicker. So those are just general observations. Myself, if I see where an animal is eating part of something, I just cut that part off. Yeah. It's pretty simple to do that. And that way you don't have to worry about it.
0: Yeah. Don't do this at home you know, don't you, you got to do what is comfortable for you. So Christina says, I think she means, does the plant express toxins once they've been nibbled? I have heard that. Well, they, they could be. And so this gets, this
1: brings the whole conversation back around to where we started. What is she talking about? She is talking about an epigenetic response. Mm. There. are opening up traits or closing off traits in order to affect the production of proteins. And those proteins linked together are what she's talking about. Those could be toxic. And those are response that the plant has learned to protect itself against certain things. So yeah, that could be happening. Well, will you be able to taste it? Will it affect you? Probably not.
0: I've heard that once a plant is nibbled on by a bug they do produce something that negatively impacts the bug and maybe even lets other plants right. in the area know yeah know that there's all a right problem. and that
1: see and that's where we opened the show we know now that that characteristic can be passed on to the offspring in one year. So why would you buy seeds from somewhere else? You don't know if that <laughs> happened, but you've got these bugs and now you have seeds to a plant that knows those bugs. That's already changing itself.
0: Right? Duh. Yeah. So Raven Skater 69 says to Bill and the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance staff, thank you for the great experience at Seed and Grain School in Mancos, Colorado on the 12th and 13th of this month. These events are fun and bonding in person.
1: Yes. Thank you for coming. Now, it was a great event. It was great to be out with people again. And I hope that we somehow as a human community work our way through this so we can get together again
0: because it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, everybody. If you're interested in our online seed school, you can go to seedschoolonline.com and there's a great Video. In fact, you everybody, go to SeedSchoolOnline.com and watch the video. That video, that's that four-minute video that I shot with you when you were out back at your house. There's sunflowers in back, and that was the day it, it rained a little bit, so it started raining about halfway through the video. And that is just a – it was a one-off, absolute brilliant video. So SeedSchoolOnline.com, go watch that video. It's brilliant. And, yeah – We got more, we'll always have more for you as long as we're breathing, won't we, Bill? Yeah, probably too much. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Any final thoughts, sir?
1: Stay positive. And if you're not, if you find yourself naturally in a knot, go out, take your shoes off, put your feet in the dirt and look at all the abundance around you, wherever you are. That you, and remember that you as one single seed saver in your backyard, saving seeds from something that amazes you, that you become passionate about, can change human history this has happened over and over and over again whether it's the haas avocado or reeds yellow dent corn which became the largest selling field corn open pollinated corn in Mm -hmm. the 20th century worldwide one guy saving seeds so just remember that you have immense and tremendous power to change everything so there's no real reason to be depressed
0: yeah Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Bill. It's always great fun. How do they get a hold of Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance?
1: RockyMountainSeedAlliance.org. We've got some online programs coming up as well, a green school this fall. Cool. We're going to be bringing in some of the great grainiacs from around the country for that. That's probably the next thing we're doing. Yep. And yeah, and you can become a seed steward and link into over yes. 300 seed stewards. There's a map you can click on it, find people near you. We've got directories now for seed teachers and seed businesses. And so if you want to just join
0: the community, that's we've got a place for you to do that too. And that's Rocky Mountain Seed org Yes. RockyMountainSeeds.org. All right. Well, we will catch you all next month. Thank you for being here. And I guess we're good, Bill. All right. Thank good you. Good night. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Take care.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org.